Welcome to LCS Talks. I'm Berkeley Glazer, and I'm the principal of Langley Christian Middle School. And my co-host is with me today, Kevin Merchandani. He is the Director of Instruction K-12 for our school, and also he is the Director of Christian Foundations. Along with us today, we have Tom Allen joining us. We have Josh Withrow joining us, and we have Bruce Wergland joining us. And these gentlemen all teach Bible in our high school brick-and-mortar building. So welcome, gentlemen, to our podcast. Yeah, welcome. Thank we you. are so excited to have you here, and we are discussing the development of our K-12 Bible curriculum. We've got Josh Withrow returning, but we have two first-time LCS Talks podcasters, so we are really excited to see Ber Bruce and Tom with us here. And, Ooh, and we can actually see them because we are yeah. video casting, so you can check out our YouTube That's channel. That's right. Yeah. So we are talking today about uh, not only the development of our Bible curriculum, but we are looking at how these three gentlemen here are implementing our three new courses at the high school level. And um, we're going to uh, interrogate them and ask them questions about how do we teach how to read the Bible? And we're going to explore how to engage in rich, faith-informed discussions. But we'll also get to know each of these three um, individuals and their stories. We're really excited to hear about who you are as Christian educators. So thanks for joining us here, and we are excited to engage with you. Absolutely. We're going to jump right in with uh, you guys telling us your God stories, or your faith stories. Uh, we are going to put a minute 20 on the timer here, and you're going to get a big clack once uh, that goes too long. But uh, yeah, Coles Knows version, faith story. Tom, would you like to start, please? I was going to say Josh should, but yeah, I can start. Uh, what, did you start already? Okay. Oh my gosh. Uh, all right. Well, I became a Christian at four years old at Aldergrove Alliance Church, just down the road. Uh, and yeah, I grew up in a Christian home with a professor for a father. So uh, we got to have deep discussions all the time. And I grew up loving deep discussions and conversations. And it's kind of my favorite thing to do is actually just talking to people. So, um, yeah, went to uh, Pacific Academy for high school, uh, went to SFU for all of my uh, degrees in, in a variety of things. And uh, this is so stressful, my goodness. Um, <laughs> then I went back as a teacher for eight years and got to teach Christian perspectives there uh, and theater and socials and all stuff. And I found teaching Christian perspectives to be one of the most formative things for my faith as uh, you're having these conversations with uh, years after years of students of why is God allow suffering or, you know, who is God and, and how do you explain him? And, um, and so I, I would almost say the, the most formative parts of my faith have been in the last 10 years or so as mm -hmm. I've really had to, uh, I love the story of Jacob wrestling with God because that's like the metaphor of my life often in my faith journey. But through that, just finding such a deeper uh, experience as I get to know him and myself mm -hmm. a lot more. So I'm excited to uh, be part of this team. Awesome. And look at that. We're done. <laughs> Over to Bruce. You're next. And go. So I'm going to skip um, forward to about 40 years old and about halfway through my teaching career. <laughs> and uh, my, my parents separated and divorced when I was 40. And uh, my sister's... Uh, since then have also divorced. One of them's remarried. And I would say the last 15 years, walking through uh, the brokenness of my family and then raising my own children and now having a granddaughter um, this past year mm. has really shaped my understanding of uh, restoration, um, has given me a clear picture of uh, um, 
the father who loves me unconditionally. And so many times in my classes, when I try to search for an analogy or an example about faith or redemption or compassion, um, I find myself going to one day when you'll be, when you're a parent, you'll understand this better. And uh, so I think the last 15 years for me, even though I uh, was raised in a Christian family, went to camps and youth events, uh, the last 15 years have really shaped me as a teacher as I've changed as a parent. Mm. Wow, look at that, right on the money. All right, Josh, you ready? Oh, and go. High now. <laughs> well, I grew up in a Christian home and my story is very similar in that it often involves uh, separation of parents and some difficult things that happened when I was younger, but ultimately really always feeling the presence of God being, being very close. And as I went through high school and you know, started Bible clubs in my public high school and did things like that, it was actually not until my early 20s that I didn't want to believe in God anymore. Uh, basically because I felt like I was sold a, a false bill of goods. I remember driving down in my car one night, I was about 22 years old, and I was teaching at a Christian school, and I remember verbally saying, I don't want to believe this anymore, but in my heart feeling like there was absolutely no way that I could reject it because too much had happened to me, mm -hmm. that I knew that God was real mm -hmm. and present in my life. And so I use that through this lens of uh, viewing all of the negative things that have happened and using that as a lens to help me understand that even though that has shaped things in my life, God has still been very near to me. Mm. Thanks, awesome. Josh. Amazing. Yeah. Let's piggyback off that a little bit there. Josh, you reminded me of the Parker Palmer sense of teaching emerges from our identity and our integrity and who we are is often lived out in our practice. So in particular, I'd love for the three of you to talk a little bit about your courses, but Josh, to start with you, how are some of those questions that you've worked through now being embedded and emerging in your, your philosophy Bible course? Um, what are some examples of what your course looks like and help our, leader, or our listeners to get a bit of a sense of what that course is about in terms of its substance? Sure. So when I was in university, training to become a teacher, probably my favorite teacher, who was a really, really difficult teacher, he would say that he is the professor that had two brains and no heart. Mm -hmm. But I remember him saying that the best piece of advice that he could give us is that you teach yourself. Mm -hmm. And it had a couple different meanings. Obviously, you do teach yourself the subject, but when you're a teacher, you teach through yourself is what he was trying to communicate, that the different passions you have, the different questions you have, the different insights you have, you're teaching your class through that framework. Mm -hmm. And I have always thought about that when I'm designing curriculum, uh, not just my own personal interests and questions, but starting there and expanding. So I teach the philosophy section of the Bible 1112, and it's been a really interesting journey for me. My, my mind naturally goes to philosophical questions, but I hadn't necessarily formally studied like the history of philosophy. And, you know, I, I couldn't go, okay, well, Kant says this or Hume mm -hmm. says this. And so as I started studying 
the people, the philosophers and thinkers themselves, I realized, oh my word, they're asking the same questions the Bible's asking and answering. Mm. So I found the thread between critical thinking and thinking and answers and the Bible to be very close together. And so I tried to use that to go, okay, what is a 17-year-old, 18-year-old mind? Like, what questions are they asking of themselves? What questions are they going to be confronted with as they leave this place? And then trying to work backwards from there. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Uh, Bruce, how about you? What does your Bible 1112 uh, World Religions course look like? So we spend most of our time um, looking at five major world religions, uh, Islam, Judaism, Sikhism, Buddhism, and Hinduism. Um, we balance that with uh, a study um, in the book of Genesis on covenant and with a study of uh, the completion of that covenant in the gospel of Mark. Hmm. Probably at the heart of the course is uh, literally what we're doing tomorrow, and that's going on a field trip to Richmond. And we will conclude our first unit on um, the origins of uh, Judaism and Islam, going back to Abraham in Genesis, by visiting a mosque and a synagogue um, and interacting um, with the with the architecture. Um, we've already interacted with the texts and the practices a little bit. We'll have some conversations with people there. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll jumpstart our next unit on Eastern uh, world religions by visiting a Buddhist, Sikh, and uh, Hindu temple. Um, and we will end tomorrow by having lunch with uh, the Sikh community at their temple, which is always a highlight. Um, their hospitality is, is just fantastic, and we get a chance to go in and take off our shoes and cover our heads and get our food and sit down at a table in their giant cafeteria and, and really interact with, with uh, the community there. Mm. Uh, probably for me, like Josh, uh, I've been on a journey this year doing reading to, to help me out in this course. And uh, the theme that keeps coming across my plate is the, the historical impact that Christianity has had on humanity uh, as far as um, human dignity, human agency, and just human innovation to make life better. And uh, so that discovery has been really rich and rewarding for me as I've taken my own students through um, the study of other religions. And so we're constantly, shouldn't say constantly, but regularly measuring uh, transformation what kind of transformation do you see as a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Jew? Uh, and, and what do we experience as followers of Jesus and how were we transformed? Thanks, Bruce. Uh, Tom, you're engaging with some really interesting conversations around the idea of shalom and biblical justice. Can you give us a little bit of a, a picture of what takes place in your class and your learning? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, similar to what Josh and Bruce have said, like we, we teach who we are. And uh, I I remember when, when you and I were chatting last year and I was looking for a change, I'd already been starting to have these conversations with students at my old school. Um, and uh, and I found there's just this like hunger for it mm -hmm. with, uh, with young people right now is there's just, not only is the world a bit more, well, the term polarized is probably overused, but it's very much in their face, mm -hmm. right? It's, they're seeing just, they're so informed on just the current events. 
which are really just the first draft of history. So it's really tough for them to process what's going on. Mm. And as I mentioned earlier, like I love conversations. I love just sitting down and working through really difficult issues and hearing people's stories and sharing my story. Um, but when, when Kevin, when you laid out the three options of the biblical curriculum, like, yeah, which one <laughs> do you think you'd like? I'd be like, yeah, philosophy or maybe world religions. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. How about this one? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, let's go to a new job mm -hmm. and talk about the most controversial things at the most like controversial time Yeah, coming out of the most, uh, in one of the most intense things, uh, any of us experienced. And so I've actually had to do a lot of, like you guys have mentioned, I've had to do a lot of identity work on myself, mm -hmm. um, because I noticed a year ago this time that my own mental health was not where I wanted it to be. I was frustrated. I was angry. Um, and the pandemic had taken its toll. And so I've been having to do a lot of work so that I can model how to step into a controversial space in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the course looks, and, and I notice a lot of students want to come in, they immediately just want to talk about Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. um, and LGBTQ issues, and they mm -hmm. want to debate and they yeah. want to argue. Um, and that's just not what the course is designed for, even though those the, de there is time for debate. But rather setting a foundation of biblical justice and going, um, what does it mean that we're all created in the Imago Dei, mm. right? We're creating the image of God. What does it mean that we're, our jobs as Christians isn't about just, you know, killing time till we die and go to heaven, mm -hmm. but we actually are spreading the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Um, and so then what does it look like to care for the poor? What does it look like to look at how Jesus interacts with women? What does it look like? And so I have split the course up into... Um, biblical foundations for social justice, alleviating poverty, healing brokenness, and wrestling with mental health, um, race and diversity, and then gender and sexuality. And I leave those two for the end because my hope is that we are, and it's difficult, but some days we don't get it, but we build a safe community where the students by that point in the course feel very comfortable to navigate these issues that... Um, you know, to be honest, some people are getting fired for, some people are like losing yeah. friends over and mm -hmm. families are dividing over. So, uh, yeah, having gone through one round of it, it's been really, really cool. Yeah. So. In terms of your own learning and maybe some insights you'd share with other Christian educators that are, are hoping to step into those spaces, they know that there's work that needs to be done. What advice would you offer in terms of your last six months of experience of, mm -hmm. of stepping in? Obviously, uh, with background that you've taught Christian perspectives before, too, what would you encourage um, these other educators teaching Bible to be thinking about um, in their practice? Yeah, I mean, the tough thing is you have to read a lot. I mean, you guys have been trying to crash course on world religions and philosophy, and I'm doing mm -hmm. the same. And um, I have a history background, so a yeah. lot of um, that pertains to social justice. But uh, reading a lot of this summer, um, trying to challenge my own paradigms, my own biases that I'm bringing in and stepping into that neutral space, mm -hmm. uh, and then talking to other educators, other uh, people, and then just, for me, I'm not necessarily a natural listener. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been really trying to develop that skill set of sitting down, asking a question with a small group of students and leaving that space and then just letting them find their way through it. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of resources, I mean, there's so much out there. And so my... Uh, my big thing is I'm trying to read across the political spectrum 
and across the uh, progressive to more traditional theological spectrum as well, mm. um, while still maintaining my own beliefs. But that's where the identity piece comes in, where I don't think I could have taught this course last year because, uh, and I, I think I was trying at PA to do it, but I was probably letting my own biases coming in way too much. And I hadn't done that before. And I was stepping into spaces where I was talking at the kids rather than just enjoying the conversation. And I'm like, man, now I'm just, I, this is this process is not working. So I've taken a step back and, and really tried to just have the conversation again, mm -hmm. right? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, one of the big things in our Bible curriculum, K-12, is uh, teaching our learners how to read the Bible. So I'm just curious for you guys teaching our senior uh, learners, 11 and 12s, give us uh, some of your approaches, some of your insights on how you teach them to read the Bible. So we'll start with Bruce. Well, let me just start um, this conversation. I'll let Josh finish it. Um, well, at least Tom's in the middle. Tom's in the middle. Nice little sandwich. Well, <laughs> yeah, he might want to go in the middle or just add on because yeah. Josh, Josh and I developed the grade 10 program together. So we've, we've had some pretty thorough conversations about strategies uh, in the last couple of years. And uh, I, th I think the beginning every time we read scripture um, is, is always context, um, historically, um, within the book itself, within the chapter itself, um, making sure you understand where you're parachuting into, uh, unless you're starting right at the beginning of a book, but even then, looking at cultural context. And then once, once we finish talking about context, um, the first entry point into the text itself is a close reading, uh, where we encourage students to um, use a strategy with color, underlining, bolding, to mark things they notice. And we give them prompts like repeated words or literary language or names or nouns or key phrases or quotes from the Old Testament and just getting them to look for what did the author write, what words did he choose, what details did he consider, because if they're important to the author, then they're probably important for us to see. So that would be the starting point. Hey, Bruce, um, I've seen in your class, you've had students kind of visually animate the text. What does that look like? Can you tell us a little bit of an example of that? So that's just a bit of an extension I do in grade nine, just to make it a little bit, I don't want to use the word fun, but a little bit, I guess, more creative, less academic. So when, There's no fun in your class. That's, <laughs> that's true. So I'm, I'm being consistent. Um, no, they, uh, they take words that they notice and instead of just identifying them, like color coding, all the nouns, pink and all the verbs, yellow, for example, they actually change the word based on, um, a layer of its meaning. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, the word destruction, they might actually destroy the word, make the letters of the word destruction look like they're falling apart. Mm -hmm or they might take a word that's repeated and, and give it the same font throughout the passage mm -hmm. or change a color. And I just call it animating. And it just, it adds a layer of visual meaning on top of identifying the keyword. 
Thanks. Yeah, I think that engagement with the text itself can take lots of different forms, and that's encouraging. And one of the things that I always think about when it comes to context is that uh, the Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And so how do we as a community of learners actually engage with it? And uh, that's kind of been a big approach that we've taken as a community saying, we're going to read scripture together. It's going to become a part of the life of how we engage with one another and ask the questions and think about the communities as well, too, that it was written to. So Josh, Mm -hmm. how about you? What are some examples of um, uh, strategies or practices for teaching how to read the Bible? Yeah. So building off what Bruce was already saying, when you look at it, scripture and you understand the context, it's really important that you have that cultural piece or that literary piece or the historic piece, but also understanding that that book, that culture comes with a certain framework. Not only are there certain details there, but that group of people would have been asking certain types of mm. questions. Mm. And the reality is sometimes we're not asking those types of questions now or we assume that they're asking the same type of questions we are. Mm. Now, in some ways, that's absolutely 100% true, because I think whether it's 2023 or it's, you know, 20 BC, I don't know. uh, Humans are humans, and they're, regardless of situation, they're still asking some of the same questions. But to understand the framework and understand what would the author, why would the author have included that and go, well, it's probably because the culture is asking a certain type of question. Mm. And when you're able to do that, then you're able to draw those questions forward. So questions of identity or questions of purpose or meaning. And then we can go ahead and help the students apply those. So that's where we'll take news articles or that's where we'll take current events and go, okay, uh, how, what questions do we have about these things and how is that approached in scripture and then how can we approach that? So one of the things that I really enjoy doing in my philosophy class is having discussion. I'm, I'm with Tom here. I love hearing other people talk. I like talking too, but I love hearing the students talk and I love facilitating different types of discussion. Mm. So uh, structured Socratic dialogue is one aspect that we use. Uh, We do something called an ethics bowl. It's a little bit like a debate, but we take current events. And instead of saying, okay, you're going to argue for this side and I'm going to argue for this side, we actually go, okay, what are the ethical issues present in this case? Hmm. Um, Okay, so you believe this about medically assisted suicide. Okay, great. Why do people on the other side believe the way they do? Not why are they wrong, but why do they believe? What are the ethical issues that are present here? And I found that with the students, when they start asking those questions, and it's difficult because just like Tom was saying, they automatically want to go into a position of debate. I'm wrong, you're right. And I try to communicate with them that it's okay to believe and hold a certain position, but it's really important for empathy and really important for your own opinion to understand the ethical issues that are being presented. Mm. I've been in your class a few times and I've seen students drawing naturally from scripture and and citing and and Mm -hmm. building that biblical foundation into their discussions. How do you get them to be that interactive with scripture in an authentic kind of way? I think I try to model it. Uh, Sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not. Mm -hmm. 
So while just like these other classes, I have certain texts that we look at. You know, we look at Genesis one to three, and we ask lots of questions about purpose and meaning. We look, we spend a lot of time in the wisdom literature, mm -hmm. and ask questions about like, what does it mean to be wise compared to what does it mean to be a fool. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it will come out with those yeah. uh, those readings, but other times, just as I'm going through things, like even today, I was we were talking about. What were we talking about? We were talking about uh, the word desire. It made me think of Galatians 5 and 6 and how the desire of the flesh is in contrast to the, the desire of the spirit. And so we started talking about that. And so I think the more I'm interacting and bringing up those points, it really releases students to do the same thing. Awesome. How about you, Tom? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, this course has been interesting because it is, I find some days I, it's a challenge to balance the, the humanities course and the biblical course. And so what I've been trying to do is just work with biblical models um, and really focus on the Sermon on the Mount um, and the life of Jesus. And, and so just because it's, it's very, um, whereas Bruce, you have like a lot of context and there's um, frameworks. A lot of this is application. Like a lot mm -hmm. of social justice has to be practical, or mm -hmm. and it needs to be. And I do personally kind of enjoy working in a more theoretical realm mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to theology. So this is a this is a challenge that I'm navigating and trying to incorporate the layers because some days it feels like, oh, this was just way too theoretical, and some days I'm like, did we even mention the Bible at all? And that's a that's yeah. a convicting thing for me. Um, but. Uh, we always start out, yeah, with reading the words of Jesus and then applying it to the context. Um, it's a little bit different than the philosophy course just because the debates, like, you can't just take a step back going like, well, you know, what's the what's the philosophical reasoning? It's like, like tomorrow we are going to be getting into pro-life and pro-choice and, and um, to defend both sides from a biblical perspective will be very interesting to see what the students come up with. Um, and then, yeah, using a variety of different debate methods so that's not just this free for all of, of whatever. So yeah, it's something that I'm, I'm still navigating as we build the course, yeah. but the classes always start off with reading a scripture that then is applicable. And my hope is that they are learning to with, you know, in a conversation when this stuff pops up, they'd be like, all right, well, scripture says this, mm -hmm. right? Or I know that I'm created in the image of God and that's the foundation of my identity. Yeah. Right. And so those kind of big, uh, big themes. Yeah. I think as I think of the current state of where our biblical studies curriculum is at, um, the image, I, I think it was maybe from a, a conversation with a teacher that came to my mind was that we're always walking around with this under construction kind of logo. Right. And we, we see that in our coursework. We see that as educators. I think w when we get into the teaching profession, we sign up to always be formed, to be become more like Christ. Right. Um, I would love to hear how our learner attributes are under construction, how they're a big part of already the work that we're doing, but then also the parts that are structuring the learning experiences. Where are you seeing the learner attributes, which is a, a pretty big part of our, our biblical studies curriculum. Where are you seeing that show up already in your classes and your students learning in their experiences? I'd say for me, it involves a lot of listening and learning to ask better questions. I like to say that if you want a really good answer, you have to ask a really good question. Mm. So learning how to see 
or discern those ethical issues and then ask really good questions and then be able to have a reasonable dialogue with somebody even if that person holds a completely different opinion than you. Hmm. Thanks, Josh. I think for me it would be um, establishing rhythms. Um, one of the things that I, I tried to do in, in all of my courses this year was to have a key passage from the book that we were studying, that we just, every single class, we just kept coming back to it. And sometimes it felt, it felt clunky and, and it just didn't work. Other times it went really well. Um, but the idea of being come, becoming so familiar with, with three or four verses in the middle of a book or passage you're studying that it just, it seeps into your bones. And then I think the other rhythms are just uh, relational ones, whether it's uh, greeting my students, uh, whether it's everyone's computers are closed when we start, um, but just yeah, making lots of good eye contact and just reminding each other that we're here together for a reason. And, and what do we do to, to maximize that? As, uh, as we study and we explore together. Mm -hmm. It sounds like the practices that we engage with are actually very formative to us, and we've talked a little about that in previous episodes, that faith takes place and emerges in a community as we practice and engage with it. Um, so it sounds like, Bruce, you're speaking a bit to that idea of being purposely disciplined, and Josh, that idea of faith-informed discernment, which, um, and I'll probably uh, give our listeners a little bit of a heads up, over the next number of weeks, we're going to be sharing with our community a bit more about each of these learner attributes to build a bit of familiarity. So you'll hear from a number of educators in our school community who will talk about uh, how those learner attributes have become a part of who they are. But for you, Tom, where are you seeing the learner attributes show up in your classes? Trying to remember which document the learner attributes are. No. Uh, <laughs> nice one. <laughs> there's just a lot of documents. Uh, I know, right? Um, and I feel I'm new to the community, so I get some slow. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I think, um, what is it? Servant stewardship? Is that, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have a learner attribute, so you've been in the right document. Yeah, that's yeah. the right attribute. <laughs> uh, yeah, so servant stewardship um, uh, in, in, uh, in social justice is trying, like that's one that comes to mind, is trying to get them to actually actually think about what it would be like to serve others hmm. and down the road like down fraser highway we have incredible poverty mm -hmm. right like in langley and it's just getting more and more intense and so um like the project they're working on right now and is uh is how can you take one niche area of uh, of langley and what and pretend you're going to present to township council how would you solve this or, or if you're mm -hmm. pitching it to your elders board at your church um, whether it's just like, could we um, create a, an after-school care program for single moms at, L, at, at LCS, yeah. like where we have a bunch of these teenagers who bring your kids here, drop them off or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so they've come up with one kid's like, but we have to come up with like original ideas. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, could you imagine though, like, like someone's got an idea in here. There's the, that hasn't been thought before to navigate mm -hmm. poverty. And so that's what I'm seeing. Um, and, uh, yeah, that would be the, that would be one of the key learning uh, attributes that we're going through. And then, like Bruce mentioned, relationship. Like I'm new to this community, um, and so I've been trying to rapidly build relationship so that students feel comfortable to have these conversations with me. Mm. Um, these are very personal discussions. These are very uh, controversial discussions, 
And so I have to create this uh, safe community within the classroom so that a student doesn't feel, so a student feels safe to, to communicate these things. Mm. Yeah, I think each of you have highlighted the distinctiveness of this community, a community willing to engage in important theological conversations in a diverse interdenominational culture, um, that the learner attributes are ways that we're becoming more like Christ as a community. And, and kind of the heart of our Bible curriculum is to know God to love others and to live purposefully, that it's not just about head knowledge or um, it's not just about action without having that deep transformative work by the Spirit, but this is actually something that we participate in over the course of our life. So, Berkeley, you've got a bit of a, an activity. You bet. Um, yeah, this is something that we're trying with our, our new live stream. Yeah, so uh, for those that are listening and now viewing us, yeah. so uh, there's many things about our Langley Christian School community we love. So Kevin and I have jotted three things down. So uh, we've put them on a piece of paper. We're going to randomly shake them up, and you're going to draw one. Let our uh, listeners know what it is, and you got a minute to say why you love that. Tom's going first. All right. Is it more learner attributes? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> well, th- as we know, Tom loves the Enneagram, so it's he true. just I, loves apparently surprises. Yes. Yep. Josh is somewhere in between, and Bruce is terrified of surprises. No, he's not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's terrified he's of anything. I think that's the whole point. Not at all. Anything. If you know Mr. Wergelin. <laughs> all right. And sorry, what do you want me to say about this? What, what you love? What you love about listening it. to the Say what it is all right, and yeah. then what you love. Okay, community. Um, I, I have actually, I, I've really, really uh, fallen in love with this community. Um, awesome. I, I Getting to coach soccer in the fall, and uh, I, I remember it was uh, our seniors game. Like our home field's 20 minutes away. It's pouring rain. Uh, and I think there was probably 200 kids there. Mm-hmm. Unreal. Yeah. Um, I, I think there is a, there's a bit of an unassuming aspect to the community where it's just like people show up, care for one another. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've really, really enjoyed the kids. I haven't had a chance to connect with too many of the parents yet, but we have a, a six-hour session Thursday night of... Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Meet the creature. Of, uh, yeah, meet, meet the, the teacher. teacher. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited for that. Um, so yeah, uh, and and I think, you know, that's the power of a a, uh, a private school community in, or an independent school is the ability to know every teacher, know every kid. Um, and what is education if the kid doesn't feel seen? Mm-hmm. And it's pretty rare. I hope it's pretty rare for a kid not to feel seen in a school this size. Where you can, like, I've only been here a couple months, but I'm getting to the point where I almost know most kids mm-hmm. by name and can at least say hello to them in the hallway, right? And so um, that's pretty awesome. So yeah. I've really, really enjoyed this community so far. Um, and and I felt very welcomed as well. Awesome. So. Josh. Explain why Berkeley is the <laughs> best principal. Yes. Uh, on each got, of the three campuses. Oh, each. So I, I have like 17 minutes for this. Is that, that right? That is correct. Pay you later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, this says faith. Wow. I absolutely love the fact that I teach at a place that I can talk about and integrate the most important part of my life. Mm. I honestly don't know how I would talk about these topics without mentioning my faith. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I have tried to think about that or when I've been in other situations where it may not have been appropriate, I guess, um, 
in that setting to, to go into depth about my faith, uh, it's, it's a shallow answer. And so I really appreciate that I can work and be part of a community where I get to share all aspects of me and like the deepest, most important aspects of who I am. Hmm. All right, Bruce, what'd you get? Interdenominational. So I think 10 years ago, I had a class, uh, I called it my world class. I haven't had one since that's really come close to this, but I had, uh, I had Catholic students, I had a Greek Orthodox student, I had a Coptic Christian from Ethiopia, mm. and then of course a bunch of, uh, a bunch of mainstream evangelical Protestants, of which I am one, so mm. I can kind of say that tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> uh, and then with that, we had seven different languages spoken fluently. And it was this incredible cross-section of people and cultures and lives and traditions. And I just remember uh, this, uh, I, I remember once I realized that, um, how many opportunities I could take advantage of to find and create just a, an incredible breadth of context in our conversations. And so maybe it was baptism. Tell me what you do at your church, your church. Mm. Um, and it seemed like every topic we had about faith or practice or spiritual discipline, we just had this beautiful mix, uh, and I love that. And I haven't had something quite like that since, uh, but there's always the opportunity here um, for us to experience people from, from different streams of Christianity. Mm. And I always tell my students, um, most of our faith is the same. There's incredible unity, and the diversity just enriches us. Mm -hmm. mm. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, awesome to have the three of you here. I think one of my favorite parts about uh, what I've seen in the last number of months that you've been able to connect together is the spirit of hospitality, of humor, of uh, being able to poke at each other and grow together at the same time too. I, I remember one of our meetings that we had, I, I think at the end of it, we had probably laughed a bunch together, eaten pizza, cried a bit, um, prayed with one another. And I think that's the depth of uh, Christian community that I love here at LCS. But I think just to kind of cap our time a bit, would love to invite each of you to share a little bit of your wisdom with this cool community as we work towards the faith formation of our students at the high school level, but uh, also what sort of encouragement you leave with our families as, as we partner with them in the efforts towards their faith formation. There's lots of wisdom here, so please go ahead and jump in. <laughs> Jumping in wouldn't be very wise. The, oh, there we go. The, you are listening to Proverbs then, I think. So I imagine, um, let me just make sure I've got this straight, we're sitting down with a group of parents or the parents of a student, and uh, what would we want to speak into their lives? Yeah, what sort of... From our course perspective. Mm -hmm. I can start. I'll just, and then you guys can say all the really wise stuff afterwards. This is how we always do it. That's a good move. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, from, from my course perspective, I think... Uh, from conversations I've had both within and without the community um, about social justice. Mm -hmm. uh, what a loaded term. And there's a lot of fear around, I mean, you, you can sense the fear around so many of these topics just walking down the street in Langley, never mind, or, or in every, I don't think a conversation happens in my personal life where something about SOGI 
or the LGBTQ community or anything doesn't come up. And there's so much fear. Um, and so I would, my, my little wisdom would say, um, when I look throughout all of history, there's always fear. There's always something controversial happening. In fact, it's usually much worse. It's always much worse than it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in the time of Jesus, you know, you had the Roman Empire, you know, taking over Israel. You have zealots fighting with Pharisees and there's racism. There's all sorts, there's sexism. There's all sorts of stuff happening. Um, and yet look at how the spirit moved. Mm-hmm. And so I would counsel parents, and I speak to myself when I say this as well, as I'm raising young children, um, to not give in to the fear of change and the fear of um, the other, of, uh, of the unknown, and to actually look for the hope and the fact that young people are engaging with these topics with just a, a fierceness, a fierce thirst for knowledge. Mm. Um, and to step into the hope of Jesus and that he will move in all things and he will work all things together towards his good mm-hmm. uh, and not our own. So that's a, something I have to remind myself of as, uh, and, and with my students, like, are we, they're always like, are we always going to talk about depressing things? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are. We're going to talk about intense things and yeah. we're going to talk about the pain that's in this world. And we have to, mm-hmm. we have to talk about it. So, um, and then I would counsel, sit down with your kids, whether it's at dinner or whatever. And the best thing I think you can do, uh, I've said this for years is just, Hey, what'd you learn in Bible class today? What'd you talk about in Bible class mm-hmm. today? And let that just be a starting point to have these conversations. Because if they're just having it with us, that's not enough. Mm. They need to have it with their peers, with their church, with their parents. And we all have to work together to guide this next generation. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Wow. That was really good. Yeah. Thank you. Way to go first. Yeah. Good job. (laughs) And be wise. (laughs) And be wise. You know, I, I think about... Obviously, Proverbs has so many wise statements and wise sayings, but I think one of the things that I love talking about in my class and I love thinking about is this image of Lady Wisdom and the first nine chapters of Proverbs. And one of the differences between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly is that Lady Wisdom is inviting. Mm -hmm. And really, the only prerequisite to... uh, learn from her is humility Mm. and this idea that if we approach these topics uh, regardless of how difficult they are with this humility and looking at scripture and reading scripture humbly and asking for the holy spirit to give us wisdom and discernment as we read and then talking with other people and not being afraid of other opinions and really listening to other people like we might have something to learn from them. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily mean we'll agree with them or I have to adopt that perspective to my own opinion, but ultimately that when we are, when we humbly approach God's word and we are in community, then, then we will learn um, regardless of social status or, or, or gender or race or anything else that uh, the the wisdom of the Holy Spirit will be present. And I, and I find that so comforting mm-hmm. that, um, you know, and even when we look in the book of James, that 
it reminds us that we are going to come against hard times. There are going to be times that we're going to be persecuted for our beliefs. There are going to be times that people will disagree with us. But ultimately, when we once again return to Christ and just humbly sit under his word, uh, there's life there. Awesome, Josh. I think for me, uh, I would come back to what I started the podcast off with, um, this, uh, this idea that uh, Christianity, biblical principles, um, this the scandal of the gospel has has transformed um, at the very least Western civilization in the last two thousand years, and uh, and and you can't separate, at least until recently, Christianity with most countries in the West and uh, and and pockets throughout the globe. And uh, if, if, if you were to compare a country or a place that's had a Christian foundation and a Christian understanding of human flourishing with one that hasn't, um, you know, whether it's uh, a Canada and China or United States and, uh, and India, I think there's some really interesting comparisons about um, the sanctity of life um, about scientific innovation um, to improve people's lives, healthcare, the workplace. And, and so for me, if studying world religions and therefore studying uh, regions and, and countries specifically um, allows you to see this difference, um, I think I would encourage parents and their students to really see, uh, investigate the transformative power of, of the gospel, not only historically and in nations and regions and whether it's holidays, practices, innovations, whatever it might be, uh, but then that bring it down to yourself as an individual um, as far as spiritual disciplines. Um, I've thought very much for most of my life about suffering. It's just been a really uh, intriguing, scary, curious aspect, and, and I've suffered very little. Um, but I think part of understanding um, transformation um, is is understanding the suffering we see in the world and uh, what is the the biblical response, what is the church's response, and and how has that made a difference? How has it changed countries, groups, governments, mm-hmm. uh, hospitals, school systems, languages, uh, and just seeing the power of the gospel um, over time? Awesome. Well, I told you guys that uh, we were going to turn out a record time here today, and you guys didn't disappoint. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I want to thank the panel for joining us. Uh, great contributions. It's been a great podcast. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Just to remind you that we want to be interactive, so you can reach out with any concerns or questions at our email, podcast at langleychristian.com, and you can watch us. So tune into our YouTube channel, and you can watch this episode. Thanks for joining. 